Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Highway to Health Show. This is episode 15 with Dr. Roseanne Capana-Hodge. On our previous week, we had Christopher McKinney join us. That was episode 14, in which we spoke about resilience and why it is such an important, crucial skill to develop, not only for ourselves, but to demonstrate to our children. It'll help them improve their health, their life, their well-being, just by understanding the importance of resilience in their life. If you haven't yet listened to it, make sure you go back and listen to episode 14 and learn everything that Christopher shares with us there. For this week's episode, Dr. Roseanne and I had such an interesting conversation regarding brain health, anxiety in adults and in children, how to recognize it, when to look out for for help, and most importantly, we also spoke about brain health, what we need to be doing every day to improve the health of our brains. Everything that we do depends on our brains functioning at 100%. So, you're going to get a lot of very valuable information from this episode. I sure did, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. This episode is brought to you by our Highway to Health Facebook group. If you haven't yet joined, all you need to do is go to dre.show forward slash group, or if you're listening from a mobile device, just tap on this episode's description and look for the appropriate link. Then tap on that link, and it'll get you directly to the Facebook group. I really look forward to seeing you there. And now I won't keep you any longer. Welcome to episode 15 with Dr. Roseanne Capana-Hodge. Remember, you are now on the highway to health and I'm your guide to help you get there. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting edge nutrition and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Highway to Health Show. Our guest today is Dr. Roseanne Capana-Hodge. She is a clinical psychologist practicing in Richfield and Newton, Connecticut. She's a licensed professional counselor, a certified integrative medical mental health provider, and a board-certified neurofeedback provider, and she's the originator of 360-degree reboot intensive therapies program. She's also a recognized speaker on the topic of pediatric development and wellness, mental health, and neurofeedback, as well as brain optimization. And today, she's joining us to talk about stress and anxiety. We'll discuss what causes them, what actually happens in your brain when you're anxious, what makes it worse, and when to seek out professional help. This is going to be a great episode. Dr. Roseanne, welcome to the Highway to Health. Well, thanks for having me, Dr. E. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for coming. Listen, I really wanted to get like dive in real quick because people, that's why they tune in to the Highway to Health show. So, as a clinical psychologist, what is the difference between stress and anxiety? Because a lot of us sometimes confuse one with the other. That is a wonderful question. So we all experience stress, right? If any of us who drive and you're on the highway and somebody doesn't get out of the passing lane, that's stress. You're running late, that's stress. But anxiety is when something is consistently been something that makes you feel worried, uncomfortable, and that uncomfortableness could be looping thoughts, but it also could be physical. You can be experiencing chest pains and stomach aches over an extended period of time. Typically more than six months, there isn't an exact amount of time, but when that worry really sticks around and you're spending time in your day 
an hour or more, or you're consistently worried or feeling uncomfortable, that is anxiety. It can occur at any age. It can occur in two or three-year-old. It can occur in an 85-year-old, or it can occur in a 40-something-year-old mom. (laughs) When we experience stress over long periods of time, and it's part of our culture now to live a high-stress lifestyle with running here and running there and making it to a soccer meet and getting home trying to make a decent meal and getting the kids' homework done. Yes, that's chronic stress over time. It can turn to anxiety if you don't learn how to give your brain and body a break. And so that's really important. You can give yourself a break. People often think that you have to have a massage every week or do something big in order to make your brain and body work better, but it's actually what you can do in small amounts throughout the day, which protects your nervous system, your brain and your body to feel better. Perfect. You've actually answered my other question because that's what I was going to ask. Does one, in this case, stress, does that lead to anxiety? Now, can they also coexist or not necessarily? Well, Sure. So you can be somebody with clinical anxiety who experiences stress differently. So, you know, um, Dr. E and I were talking before we got started about, you know, our lens, what's our perception? How do we see things? Right. So I'm a mom of two boys and boy, they could not have more different personalities. Right. One is a glass half empty and one is a glass have full. And the difference with how they cope and manage stress is unbelievable. I mean, I really should just have a video on my own little show of Giancarlo and Max and the differences between the two. But when somebody has a glass half empty perception, they're just going to see the negatives in things more. So stress is more likely to build. That doesn't mean you're going to have an anxiety disorder. What it means is that you really are the type of person that needs great self-care. You need to do things like meditate and yoga, eat well, all the things that we know are way to hack into your brain and body so that it is working in an optimal way. Where the person who sees things through a different lens and a positive lens, they don't let stress build in the same way from simply the point of perception. So, okay, that guy cut me off and now I'm going to be a few minutes late. Okay. Versus getting upset. Right. And if you're constantly activating your nervous system, yes, stress can lead to anxiety. We all know about things like adrenal burnout and all these physical sides of chronic stress actually can turn into physical disorders and mental health disorders like anxiety disorder. That you actually brought on a very, very interesting point. And it's something that I've discussed with other people before. And it is that these different lenses that we might see life through, whether it's the half empty and the half full, and I can hardly think of a better example than when it's one coming from a professional clinical psychologist saying, my two kids, one of them sees life this way and the other one sees life this way. Because we tend to think that if I normally see things as a glass half full kind of guy, I'm wrong. And I need to change that and be the half full kind of guy. We actually see that in memes all over the place. And we see that like on Instagram and like, oh, be the half full person. Does that actually happen? Or is it more valuable and useful for us to recognize and to acknowledge, okay, this is the way I see things. So I need to do these things in order for me to not be stressed. 
What a different way to think about it. I love it because that's even got me kind of giving me brain bombs and thinking about different ways. So does it mean that you're wrong if you're glass half empty? doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means you're going to experience more stress. It is the way it is. Can you change that lens? Of course. People come to us all the time at our center to do good psychotherapy, to look either at a conscious level, things that we know are irritants and how can we manage that. But 90 to 95% of the time, your subconscious is running the show. It's in charge. So what does that look like? It means that your body experiences stress. You may not even be aware of it. So all of a sudden somebody makes you feel uncomfortable and you start sweating or your shoulders tighten up. That's your subconscious giving you cues about stress. So when people come to us, we try to take a bottom-up approach and work through the body and help them to understand those signals and connect them to stressors. But also we do work through the top down so that people can be consciously aware of those things. So can somebody who's negative change their lens? Absolutely. But on the other part about it, which I think you're getting to, Dr. E, does it mean that, okay, this is the way you are. You need to take better care of yourself. Yes. And can you do both of those things? Yes. I think that's a good idea. I mean, my own kids, right? I mean, I teach them all about stress and they love to meditate and my little guy came home one day. He's, we're all, we're super foodies and, you know, we're gluten and dairy free and all that other stuff. And I've been organic for 25 years. And he came home one day and told me he wasn't going to college at age seven. And I said, what's going on? And he said, I heard there's really bad food there. And I said, he does things like this all the time. He's so funny. And I said, honey, listen, there's a top 10 list of the best foods at U.S. colleges. He said, we could work with that. And so he was all set. He was going back on. So, you know, he has a different lens. He was like, okay, I can problem solve differently. Where, you know, my other kid, it would have had to do, be a lot more conversation and discussing it and him maybe seeing a picture of the different foods. Like there's a great college in the Northeast that has sushi for lunch and dinner. And, you know, my kids were like, where can I go to that school? You know, that shouldn't be the only reason that you pick a school, but good food. (laughs) It's a good reason. It's a good reason. And according to my friend, Ellen, she also told me you should find out how many times the dorm rooms are cleaned. So I was like, thanks, Ellen. That's a great tip because I'll add that to the list in a few years. So yeah, your lens, is it there? Is it important? Can it be altered? Of course. And I think what happens with a negative person is they focus so much on the negative. And again, they just start building these high levels of stress and it just feeds. It becomes a habit and it feeds the worry. And then the worry grows to a level that becomes clinical where it interferes with relationships with people or their schoolwork or their job. A lot of adults start getting cranky and irritable when they're stressed. That's not the easiest thing to deal with as a wife or a boss, right? Or as a parent to a child. So giving people those tools to manage those stress is really, really, really important. Now, you mentioned something interesting about the food, and it's something that I always talk to a lot of patients regarding this. How much does the quality, the quantity, and the type of foods we consume affect how our brain functions on a day-to-day? Well, you know, we are what we eat. That's a corny old saying, but holy moly, it's true. 
there's so much research, just so much research to show about how nutrients optimize the brain, make them work. We're now starting to really understand the impact of inflammation and its link to not only anxiety and depression, but Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative disorders. And that's really important. So food is a huge deal. I work with so many moms and dads, and we all live really busy lives. And food is a priority, but we have this misimpression in American culture about what is healthy food. And we really need to change, and we are changing, and certain regions of the United States are ahead. I know you're out in California, Dr. E, and so there's a different orientation about health, having been out there so many times, and just recently, a couple of weeks ago. It's so important to try to give your children and yourself the healthiest foods that you can. What does that mean? You want to eat for nutrition, right? It means you want to get nutrients out of your food so that your brain and your body can power up, right? You want to get nutrients into your brain and your body so that it can properly power up, right? It's just common sense. But how people view that is different, right? We always knock McDonald's. We should knock McDonald's. It's not quality food. People don't understand that. So when you're getting grass-fed beef, why is that different? It has more nutrients in it, and it certainly has less toxins and chemicals in it. So we're putting better things, right? It's sort of like you have a fancy car, and your car requires the super gas, but you put the economy gas in. What is it going to do? You're going to hear noises because I've done that, right? <laughs> Not on purpose, I hope. Not on purpose. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. It will, you'll hear noises. You'll hear pinging. It's not going to actually speed in the same way. But then you put the premium gas in. Oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? Your car works great. It's smooth. It's silent. It's the same thing with food. You can't send your kids off to school in the morning with Lucky Charms, right? Or even Cheerios, who people think are good, right? And think their brain's going to power up. My kids love real food. And particularly my younger one, he gets on food kicks. So he's making, making them himself. He makes these little lettuce wraps. Of course, it's all, you know, organic with salmon, smoked salmon. And, you know, you put a kid who had a lettuce wrap with a smoked salmon for breakfast with a side of avocado with a kid who had Cheerios, you know, he's going to be able to keep his focus longer. He's got all these extra beautiful fats to help his activity in his brain so we can power up differently and he's going to feel better. And also putting the right food doesn't just help you power up. It helps you eliminate, get rid of toxins. When anybody who works with kids, you're going to always wind up talking about pooping. So, you know, everybody should be eliminating once or twice a day. So many kids I work with, it's not unusual for somebody to tell me that maybe they go every two to five days. And I think to myself, you're just holding in a lot of toxins. So food is a great way to help that. Not Miralax, but good food can help you with elimination. So absolutely, it's important. And I never want to shame parents. And I tell them, start somewhere. Just start at a place or for you as an individual. What do you like? Let's find a healthy alternative, right? A lot of kids, American kids are eating chicken nuggets, right? Please don't serve your kid food off a kid's menu in a restaurant. 
it's not healthy food most of the time. So, you know, if it is a chicken nugget and that's literally all they're eat, well, guess what? You're going to switch to an organic gluten-free, start there and see what can happen or go cold turkey. But you've got to start somewhere and start with things you know your kids might like, a fruit smoothie, things that are palatable and enjoyable. And then as your health improves, it becomes easier to make those changes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the same is true in the reverse. Working for so many years in the autism community, I met so many families who are incredibly careful about the quality of their kids' food. And afterwards, they neglect theirs. It's like they cook specific for the child and they're very careful and grass-fed and organic and all these things but they don't really take that same care when they choose what they're eating. And I'm not telling you that they do that and then they eat pizza. But what I'm saying is that maybe they go to a restaurant and they're very, very careful about being specific. Listen, don't put any of this, don't put any of this, don't put any of this. And then they order the salad with everything or they order the deep fried something or they have the French fries. I think it is incredibly important. The reason is we tend to forget because our bodies are so great that they can take up a lot of physical abuse throughout many years, and we really don't have a problem. How many times have you heard the story like, well, I ate whatever I wanted. I went through college. I never put an extra pound. I was doing great. And then suddenly, boom, it all came crashing down. And the problem is that that trained us to say, oh, it's fine. I'm resilient. I can really take it. How important is that? And how much of it is really what you mentioned at the beginning of this last question saying, well, if a child who's eating well is going to perform so much better at school because his brain is able to function, how much do you think this is affecting us as adults, as a society, when people aren't well fueled and they're going out there, how much is this affecting the levels of stress that we see? How much is this affecting the mood of the people that we're surrounding ourselves with? How much of this is affecting our performance and what we're doing? What do you see in your practice? The adults are one thing. So absolutely, I see so many adults like you're talking about, Dr. E, who were really pretty living, pretty healthy, and then they hit a wall. And sometimes it happens fast. Sometimes it's gradual. Sometimes it's related to hormones. Sometimes they got an infection. What I'm seeing with adults is that there's a lot of brain inflammation due to the foods that they're eating. Here in the Northeast right now is a high pollen count. So even if you're not allergic, have environmental allergies to tree pollens and whatnot, you're going to have an inflammatory response in your body. You're just not feeling it. But if I brain mapped you at this time of the year and you definitely had an allergy, I actually can see it. I can say, oh, I can clearly see you have a pollen allergy. So that inflammation, we know now that it's linked to things like anxiety and depression and a whole host of other mental health conditions, OCD especially. And so by choosing the right foods, we reduce inflammation in our body. So that's one way to support your health. Then we have parents, as you noted, who don't make the same food choices for themselves. And I think it's because they feel like they're doing okay, and especially autism mom. And I work with a lot of moms of kids who have pans and pandas and Lyme disease. And so we're kind of in survival mode and we're trying to get through and we care the most about our kids. 
and we forget to care about ourselves. You wouldn't send a soldier off to a long war with just a couple things in his pack. You would prepare him. And so when we start off in these battles, we think, oh, this treatment's going to fix my kid and it's going to be you know, a magic wand. That's what happens to a lot of people, particularly with infectious disease. And they don't realize that they really need stamina and they really need to take care of themselves over time. And food is a way for you to help yourselves. And then lastly, kids. There has been a dramatic change in the physical and mental health of children in America. A large research study found that 54% of American children have a physical or mental health problem. That's everything from obesity to anxiety disorder and ADD. So we are changing. And there's a lot of reasons why we're changing. And Dr. E, you know about autism. We don't have an exact reason why autism is happening. We have multiple reasons. And it doesn't matter what the condition is. It doesn't matter what the age. We have genetic mutations. We have toxins. We have terrible food quality in America. We have so many factors, high stress, environmental issues. I don't mean necessarily the environment, but just how we're living in our lives, right? And so all of these things are kind of converging. And as the dramatic increase in psychiatric meds have occurred, we have a dramatic increase in mental health problems in America, in both children and adults. It is really interesting. We are now starting to go back to what we always knew to be of help to people, which are things like food, lifestyle, sleep. (laughs) You know, 90% of detoxification occurs in sleep and Americans are not sleeping. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. And I always emphasize how important sleep is. And it is something that I also struggle with. I mean, don't get me wrong. Just a couple of nights ago, I function for deep down, head down work. I can really get in the zone after 10 p.m. So I had to do some other projects for my other business and I almost pulled an all-nighter. And the next day I was a wreck. I knew I had to do it because, you know, life, but I was very, very aware of what happens with me. And I didn't used to be that way when I was in school. It's like, oh yeah, I can function on two hours of sleep. No, you can't. You can survive, but you really can't function and symptoms and things you start piling up and piling up. And it really is something that we need to be aware of because what you just mentioned here, mental health, we tend to think that mental health and we're seeing a lot of mental health awareness and we tend to think that it's just for people who are clinically depressed, right? Or people who have schizophrenia or people who have like a disease, but how can we really start evaluating and assessing our own mental health? How can I stop and say, you know what? I don't necessarily think I'm functioning at 100% of my capacity. I'm having a hard time focusing or I used to be able to do this better. What do you think are the first couple of steps for somebody to recognize these things? Yeah, what a great question. So first of all, I do have to say I've almost been in mental health for almost three decades which is pretty awesome. And I love getting older because you just know so much more and you're able to help people on such a different level. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. So in this 30 years, I certainly see such an increase in children's issues in terms of just everyone having a lot of complexity, but I see a dramatic increase in anxiety. And so 
when we look at over this time, what has happened, people are a lot more aware that, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out and people throw out, oh, I have OCD and oh, I'm depressed. There is an awareness. I think what the problem is, there's a disconnect between being aware of the issues and symptoms and really knowing what to do, right? So I am not a huge believer, and I'm going to say this twice, I'm not a huge believer of talk therapy. People are so activated, children and adults, they're so anxious that to try to connect through your thinking brain, through top down versus a bottom up is impossible. So people get activated through stress. It doesn't have to be emotional stress. It could be physical stress. It could be just lack of sleep, burnout. And what happens every day? Your central nervous system, your nervous system starts idling at a higher rate, starts becoming hyperactive. It starts getting harder to sleep. It starts getting harder to stop the looping. It starts getting harder to not feel a chest pain or a stomach pain. You know, kids show a lot more anxiety through somatics, right? Your body. You're lucky when a kid says to you, I'm worried, or they start repeating questions over and over. So the first thing you should do is Maya Angelou has this great quote that says, when somebody shows themselves, you believe it. It's the same thing with anything else. So when you start feeling physically or mentally off, acknowledge it and then think, what can I do? So do you want to connect with a mental health provider? Do you want to connect with a holistic doctor? What is going on? And there are other psychologists like myself who make a connection between the mind and the body. And you want to look for words like holistic and integrative and somebody who isn't going to pop you on a pill right away because that does nothing. Often it worsens things. There's lots of research to show how ineffective medication is in dealing with issues. It puts a Band-Aid. It doesn't teach you a skill. So connecting with a good provider who can give you psychoeducation and guidance on what to do and give you a toolkit on how to manage whatever the issue is. It doesn't matter. So that's the key to lifelong mental health wellness is we all have a range of emotions. Depression is important. Anxiety is important. Being happy is important. It's when you get stuck. If you're stuck there, you need to do something and you can take steps There isn't a treatment that is a magic wand and I don't have a fairy dust. I have some amazing, amazing tools that I use. I know you do too. You know, I use neurofeedback and biofeedback. Why? Because it gets the nervous system to calm the heck down, as I like to say, idle lower so you can access your rational brain and deal with your stuff. And it doesn't matter if you're five or 81 or 43 you know, it's effective. But people have to partner with their therapist and take those micro steps. And that's important. And you should always connect with a good therapist who has experience and you feel comfortable with. Should never stick with a therapist you don't feel comfortable with. You're not going to keep a friend that you don't feel comfortable with. You shouldn't keep a therapist you don't feel comfortable with. (laughs) I completely agree. Now, if somebody's listening to us right now and thinking, you know what? I've been telling myself for so long that I'm very stressed, that I'm anxious, and I'm not doing anything about it. What do you recommend should be their very first step? If they're in their car, as soon as they pull over, as soon as they get home, what do you think they should start doing? 
I think the first thing that if it's for yourself, I've been feeling anxious for a long time. I think you should get on the internet and whether it's a place like Psychology Today or just using Google, I think you should look for a therapist in your town and throw in the word holistic or integrative and see what comes up. You know, the reason why I say that is when somebody uses the word integrative, they're thinking about the mind-body connection. They're not just going at it from one way. And it's important that we connect the two because we've always known that's the way. But treatment for psychotherapy has become very medically oriented to psychopharmacology, and that's not okay. So you want to make sure that would be your first step. And certainly, if you have a child that's showing signs of anxiety, what we know is so important that the longer you wait, I mean, this is common sense, the longer you wait, the higher the level of anxiety will become, the issue becomes more significant. And it's from one reason only, it's called habituation. You form a habit. That doesn't mean that your nervous system isn't involved, but the behavioral component comes. So it's very obvious when we think about things like OCD, where anxiety builds, and then you find what we call a maladaptive way to manage distress, which might be a mental ritual, which is much more common than a physical ritual. So you start looping, that girl is talking about me. I know it, I know it. And then you start spending all this time. I know this sounds really silly, but OCD is incredibly common and very much on the rise. And it's about these overlapping worried, worried thoughts. And it can be very perseverative on a certain topic. It could be a lot of negative self-thoughts about yourself. It could be so many different things. So when you look back on a history of somebody with OCD, it starts out with anxiety and there's always signs. They might be a kid that does a lot of questioning or checking in or have separation anxiety. So if you go and get help early from a psychotherapist who can teach you on how to manage that anxiety, not avoid it, but learn how to talk back to your anxiety is so critical. Every single person who's listening should know that they are 100% can be empowered to talk back to anxiety and break the worry cycle. It is not a magic fix. It is definitely a step-by-step process, whether it's straight talk therapy combined with things like biofeedback and neurofeedback, nutrition, making some lifestyle changes. It absolutely can happen. I mean, I just don't see people not get better when they take the micro steps. I think that's a great way to put it and to think of it and to empower people. Because one of the things that you mentioned that funnily enough, we've been discussing in a lot of the other episodes, and it's funny because it keeps coming up, whether we're talking about mental health, whether we're talking about physical health, whether we're talking about environmental health, pretty much anything. It is about recognizing that we are empowered, we're in control of what we're currently thinking, as long as we can acknowledge and recognize it. That's a number one step. And most of the time, we tend to want to avoid those things. So we say, you know what, it stresses me out when I go to work. So we try to avoid that person that you say stresses you out, or we try to avoid those situations. It happens so often in relationships that you say, you know what, my significant other, my spouse, they will always just go off whenever I say this. So I'm not going to bring it up, although it's something that it's really bothering you. And every time it happens, it keeps bothering you and it keeps looping that. But because you don't want to have that fight, you're not bringing it up and you're hoping for it to go away. And when somebody asks you, they're like, well, I'm coping with it because now I don't bring it up. Like, well, that's not coping with it. You need to be aware that life has its ups, has its downs, and you have the power 
to stand up to the downs and to stand up and to recognize the ups and to do something about it. So I think it's really, really good and really positive that you brought it up because we should all be able to talk back to our anxiety. I really like that. Now, before we move on to the next part of our conversation today, I think this is something very important that you also mentioned. What are the couple of things that people can start looking at in their children to recognize these signs of anxiety? What are the warning signs that they should be looking out for? I love that you bring this up. Children, as I mentioned, kind of manifest anxiety differently. Some kids have great verbal skills and they will say, I'm worried. Not every kid does that and it's pretty not typical. So what you want to do is you want to see very young children. Are they showing a behavioral change? Are they having explosions and getting easily upset about things? So people misperceive that as anger, but usually anger starts with worry first, and that's just their way to show it. They might have nightmares. They might have a hard time separating from you. They might be oversleeping or undersleeping. A lot of my worriers have a hard time settling for sleep. So that's important. A lot of repetitive questions. I think that's one of the biggest things that parents miss is kids of every age will be like, what time are you going to be home? And oh yeah, okay. Oh, do I have that test tomorrow? What am I supposed to be doing? And they might ask it over and over. And then the physical side, do they have headaches? Do they have stomach aches? One of my friend's kids, just a sweetheart of a young man. He's just a sweet, sweet boy. He's the number one kid they used to pair with the autistic kids because he's just such a sweet boy. He was vomiting every night and his mom was like, life is good. Grades are good. She took him to every person who scoped him from both ends, trying to figure out what was going on. And she said, Roseanne, what do you think? You think it's anxiety? And I said, Hey, let's just do a neuro and let's see if he responds to the neurofeedback. And he never vomited again after doing neuro. And then we wound up completing a course. So it was his way of showing that he was really worried. And it was as extreme as him vomiting every night. And it literally never happened again. So those kind of physical things, you know, the headaches, the teeth grinding, you know, just muscle tension and those kind of physical sides, you want to really look at what's going on. And, and anxiety, people always think there has to be a reason for you to be anxious. Sometimes you're wired that way. Sometimes it's what you're eating. Sometimes you just a person who can't handle sensory things that causes you to get distressed. And sometimes it is family wiring, right? We get the good stuff and we get the bad stuff. And it's not really bad. It's stuff you have to manage and learn to deal with. So parents need to pay attention to those signs. And the best thing they can do is connect with a mental health provider. And please don't put your kids on medication. There are so many healthy alternatives. And not only are they healthy, they get to the root causes where medication does not get to the root causes. We have convinced ourselves in mental health that it's always biochemical. It is rarely biochemical. It's more biochemistry in our body and what's going on in our body versus chemicals in our brain. And that doesn't negate things like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia, which has a very high biochemical part that goes on. But, you know, everything in our body, there's an interchange between our mind and our body. And the vagus nerve connects both of those. And that's a whole other topic. But we have as much electrical activity in our stomach as we do in our brain. And it's really important 
And luckily, there's so much wonderful information on the internet and on shows like yours for people to educate themselves about the connection between physical and mental health because it's there. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do a follow-up episode on how our gut microbiome affects our thinking and our brains because I think that's fascinating. But that's definitely something that will take a lot of the remaining time of our episode. Now, before we move on, once again, because you mentioned something very, very, very important Stress does not have to have a reason. Anxiety does not have to have a reason. And especially, it does not have to have a valid reason in the eyes of the parents. How important is it for us as parents to acknowledge when our children are anxious? Because a lot of the times we're like, oh, come on, look at this guy. He's making a fit because he has a third grade math quiz tomorrow. And we try to like play it off. And we tell them like, oh, just man up, just go ahead and do it. How important is it for us to acknowledge those things? Even if we don't agree with it, even if we don't want to empower that belief, but how important is it to just acknowledge it in their eyes? It's so important to validate. So we don't want to accommodate. We want to validate and empower our kids. So we want to say, for example, my child has chronic Lyme disease and pans. And so he developed a lot of sensory issues. So How many times have I been waiting in my car because the socks are not feeling good? And boy, does that bring on tears and upset and it still occurs and I have a teenager. So thankfully not as much. So that seems crazy. That seems completely irrational. And yes, I want to tell him to put his socks on and get his butt in the car so we can make it to school on time for once. But that's not going to help. So what I say is, I hear that those socks are bothering you. Do you want to get another pair or do you want to have a minute to deal with it? And I empower him. I let him make the choice. Usually wriggles and he's figured it out. And he now has developed his own strategy. He will leave extra socks in the car or whatever it is. So I'm not like, oh, honey, let me run and go get you these socks. And oh, don't worry about it. I want him to understand that it is real for him. It's uncomfortable. And we even say things like, it's uncomfortable. We can work through this. What else do you need? Those kind of things. It's important. And kids, when you attach worry words, you know, so I do so much talk for my older kid that my younger kid is like a junior therapist. And he'll be like, sounds like you're worried about that, you know? (laughs) So giving kids a voice and they they can feel comfortable, but also to give them options is not only important for you as a parent, but gosh, it's such a great life lesson for them. And they're so much better off. So I think it's just important as a parent to look at what you can do to teach your kids how to problem solve and to also demonstrate for them how you manage stress and how you problem solve. But it's never too early to take care of anxiety. It is a gift and we are living high stress lifestyles and we just have to adapt ways to manage stress every day. Completely agree. And I think it's so powerful that we start them young and we start allowing them to understand that they might not feel the best way every day. They might not feel happy every day. They might not feel excited about what they need to do or what they think might happen down the road. And we still need to empower them. I love how you said it. You didn't say, like I said about acknowledging it, you said that we need to validate what they're feeling. And then That also doesn't mean that we need to accommodate that feeling and say like, oh yeah, poor thing. No, we need to validate and say, you know what? It's a valid concern. I understand. I see where you're coming from. I hear your problems. We have these options 
And these are the things that you can do moving forward. And that way they're empowered. They're like, okay, so it's not just in my head. I'm not exaggerating or I'm not crazy. And these are the things that I can do. So my mom is really helping me out. My dad is really helping me out. I think those are great things. Now, as we wrap up this episode, which has been very, very interesting and lovely conversation, I wish we can have you back in a couple of episodes to follow up with everything that we've been talking about once people start sending in their questions. But as we wrap up this episode, and if we wanted to talk about stress and anxiety, and you've already mentioned probably the first one, but what are your top two or three things that people can do today to start recognizing and managing their anxiety? So you said, you know what, recognize that it's real and look for a practitioner. What are the other two or three things that they can easily start changing in their life? Yeah. So this sounds like it's easy, but it's not. It's actually breaking the worry talk and stop shaming yourself. People as adults, we have so much inner negative chatter. We're harder on ourselves than any other person. You're not going to be perfect at this. Again, you're not going to be perfect at this. If you can take some steps to break that and so say, you know what, one out of two times, one out of four times, whatever you feel like is a mini goal for yourselves. When I have that negative thought, like my boss hates me, I'm going to lose my job, whatever it is that you're worried about to switch it into something positive. So that's one way to start it. I'm a huge believer in positive visualizations. So start visualizing and practicing seeing yourself with a smile on your face. That could be a mini goal at the beach, whatever it is that brings you happiness, spend two minutes or more and really set a timer spending yourself doing positive visualizations. It is incredibly powerful. If you talk to any person who is successful, and I don't mean monetary, I mean a successful person, whether that's in their profession, whatever, whatever it is, they visualize the heck out of everything. So that's really easy. I'm a huge fan of meditation. It's free and Every single age person can do it. I've done it with three-year-olds. You can use the Calm app. You can use Headspace. You can use Insight Timer. Insight Timer is free. Use a guided meditation. Don't beat yourself up that you can't do it perfectly because monks will tell you they're still working on it 40 or 50 years later. And (laughs) it's a way to calm the nervous system. So those are ways to hack in. And obviously sleep and diet are big ones. And diet can bring up a lot of feelings. And it's not diet for diet. It's eating for nutrition to optimize your brain. Once you switch that and you change that dialogue, it's really just unbelievable how much different you can feel when you're eating foods that power you up, you know, an anti-inflammatory diet. So take little steps. Don't beat yourself up off along the way and find somebody to help you because really a good therapist is a coach and they give you and coach you those tools and help you to change that looping mentality and learn how to talk back to the anxiety. Perfect. Well, so to just summarize it, your top three recommendations. Number one, acknowledge that it is something that is affecting your quality of life and seek out professional help. They should be available pretty much anywhere you're at. Try to look for a couple of keywords that Dr. Rosanne mentioned, like integrative or holistic, when you start seeking out a mental health provider. Also, visualize 
and use meditation. Now, she mentioned a lot of different resources. The other thing you can do is go back and listen to episode five with J. Cole. We talk about meditation, and I give you a couple of additional resources. If you go to dre.show forward slash 005, there's a lot of different links to the different apps, different guided meditations, and just like everyone who's ever meditated will tell you, there's no way to do it wrong. All you need to do is to do it. There's no perfect way and there's no way to do it wrong. The practice is to actually sit still and do it for a couple of minutes. And last but not least, start changing your diet to become less inflammatory. We've talked about this over and over and over. Avoid things that will inflammate you. Keep it low carb. You know, Dr. Rosanne mentioned something that is very important, gluten. Now, gluten, a lot of people say like, oh, I'm, I'm okay, I'm not celiac. Sure, but it does have a lot of different implications for brain health. At home, Evelyn and I were very, very specific about avoiding gluten. I avoid it almost altogether. She does have bread from time to time because she's European, so every European has bread from time to time. But for our son, we have a year and a half old toddler we make sure that he has never had anything with gluten because I know that it really affects the brain development. And after a couple of years, I've always said this, I am not making him hate half the foods that are available in the world. I just want him to start trying them when he's aware of the effect that food has in the way he feels. So once he's two or three and he wants to have some bread, he can try it. And then he'll be able to say like, oh, I'm not feeling that great. Or maybe it doesn't bother him. But we don't want to just get him used to it right now. These are the very, very important takeaways. Make sure that you start on an anti-inflammatory diet. There's a lot of different resources online. You can also check out the show notes for this episode where I'm going to make sure to link some of my favorite ones. And I hope that you make the best out of this show. Dr. Rosanne, it has been great having you on. Where can people find out more about you and your practice and what you're currently doing? Well, thank you for having me on because I love to talk to people in the tribe. So it's awesome. We're all drinking the Kool-Aid and we want you to drink the Kool-Aid to feeling better. And I think that's really important. So you can get onto my website, which is www.drrosanne.com, D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N.com. And you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram and all that other stuff and LinkedIn too. So I try to put out really good information with research on my social media so that people can inform themselves better. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again for being here. I'll make sure to link to all those resources on the corresponding section of this episode. And for everyone, thank you for tuning in. This has been episode 15 of the Highway to Health Show. For episode show notes, go on over to dre.show. That's dre.show forward slash 015015. Thank you again for tuning in and I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to dre.show. Again, that's dre.show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless.